Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of You Can't Be Serious. Um, I am uh, one half of your hosting duo, Matt Torrey. And I'm the other half, Josh Tracy. And uh, and yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about some stuff and some things today. Uh, we're actually going to revisit uh, um, an earlier topic that we talked about a little bit earlier uh, on, the, on the show, uh, Wolfbeck. Um, we have some uh, some thoughts and some feelings about uh, you know kind of Wolfpack and their their strategy as a uh, as a band from a uh, from a business strategy you know less so the music side of things today but um uh, you know we thought we'd talk about a little bit about their unorthodox um, release strategy for this new newest album so Josh how did they how did they how did they do it like they so. Do you mean this album specifically or the way they generally do their albums? Well, this album specifically. And why has it been so different? It's like. So the way the way Wolf usually does it is they use a service called Q rates or crates. I've heard people just pronounce it through like that, which makes me uncomfortable because it starts with the letter Q. Um, and I feel like that should be addressed. But anyway, <laughs> um, and the way the website works is it's kind of like it's a la carte basically they're not gonna wolfpeck isn't gonna order five thousand copies of the record in advance do a pre-sale ship out to all those people and then sell the rest individually what they're gonna do is they post up the basically abstract concept of an album on curates you sign up to back it and then however many people signed up to back it ultimately get an individually pressed copy and i know everything's individually pressed but i mean like it's 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 pressed set to the number of backers plus a few extras to accommodate for any issues with shipping um because you know it's a material good there will be shipping problems you might want to account for that in your margin of error um and that in of itself has been has been very interesting we have a few things we could talk about with why what makes this this newest record different um but generally speaking that's the way they do it so there's no it's a great business strategy if you're trying to minimize your costs because for one thing uh q rates is just going to take a cut they're not going to in all likelihood really charge you too much outside of the the fees that would just be removed as a percent of overall revenue it's also good because it cuts down on your storage costs, which is a huge one, and takes away manual labor that you'd have to do, like actually shipping your shit out or finding someone else to ship your shit out. So it condenses a lot of services into one there. Um, and they've got they've got to be the biggest people that use this service because like I was just about to ask, like, how common is this? Because like it seems like I mean, this is the first. Obviously, they can't be the only ones, but like it seems like uh like what's the downside of like i don't like why don't more people do albums this way because it seems like you you cut out the risk of like you know overprinting albums right and you don't have to worry about like uh storing merchandise or anything like that you're only printing you're printing exactly the right amount right so like why like what's so, the you know if i if i had to guess and this is pure speculation um on on <laughs> on my part but i have a couple of vol final and there's a few things that i notice about it that i is is not the case if you were to get it elsewhere um like small shit 
like like the fact that there's no track listings on the middle slip like like on on the record itself i don't know if that's a function of curates where you like can't do that ah. or if that's a wolfpack choice to just have the word wolf there um yeah i didn't is the the msg live at msg there's no track listing on that no no i haven't, I, I haven't listened to my copy of it in a while i i can't I can't. Is it just said just says Wolf, right? Just says Wolf in the middle. Same thing with my um, Antoine Stanley vinyl. Just says Wolf in the middle. Um, they all they all just say Wolf in the middle. Um, huh. So I I think there's like little customization and personalization touches that are different. I also, you know, I I I'm not sure if um does curates do colored? No, they have to do colored vinyl. My Antoine my Antoine Stanley vinyl is a colored vinyl. Um, there's gotta be personalizational touches in there or some, some customizable features that they just don't do because the product itself can't really vary much. It's, it's wax with, with divots pressed into it. Like I mean, there's how, a there there is there's a set process for how you how you print vinyl. Like it is yeah. a process. Like it's not a you know there there's no there's no real room to 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 cut costs or streamline that process. That's a pretty well matured developed process, right? For manufacturing and printing vinyl. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they're 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 all Toyota Corollas, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 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 you know, sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there, there's no lexus vinyl here man like yeah 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 we're all just getting to work on time <laughs> i mean i guess i guess i guess like the weight of the vinyl right like there's like but but it's like it's it's uh the 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 wolf record that i have the live at msg like it's uh it's like a standard it's it's heavy vinyl right it's not like a super thin record like it yeah, yeah, and, and and again, and they do colored vinyl because again, my Antoine Stanley, the Volt Vault O One, is a colored vinyl. So they're, they're, those are those are both there. Um, I don't know. And the other thing is, like, they don't they don't mark anything up nor down super drastically. Like the Antoine Stanley vinyl I got is tw- was twenty five dollars, and like yeah, that's what I, I would because I think because like I think I again like I think that's that's what it costs. You know, once you tack on like an acceptable margin for for profit for you know the manufacturer and all the other people involved, like I think twenty five dollars. I think that's what it, that's what a uh you know a uh, a vinyl disc costs. You know, like I don't think there's a lot of variation in that and ways to make it less expensive than that. Okay, without, without sacrificing like quality or you know what I mean. Yeah, I I I, I have a new theory as to why people okay. would do that this way. Or do it the old way versus this way. The old way being mm. you buy 10,000 copies or whatever and then distribute them. And then hope to sell them, yeah. Right. I, and my, my new theory is that Q-Rates just takes a higher percent. Um, because mm. if you were to buy all 10,000 in one big bulk purchase, you might get a discount based on economies of scale. You're ordering a lot, so you will pay less per mm. copy. 
and Q rates because there's just more variability in it. And this might not, they, they might just have it baked in that like, no matter what, no matter how many copies, whatever, whether it's a hundred, whether it's a thousand, whether it's 5,000, you're going to be paying, I don't know, a buck 50 per disc, no matter what. Whereas maybe you'd pay a buck 50 for a 2000 copy order. If you, place it in advance from a ship from a pressing company but you would you would pay 75 cents a disc if you if you got 10,000 like there there might be discounts baked into the volume that q rates just doesn't do but where you lose money quote unquote lose money in that aspect you make up that ground in the fact that you then don't have to do storage costs shipping and handling individually or via third party all that like, there's a huge difference if you're jack stratton living in los angeles in you know an apartment i'm sure there's a huge difference between you literally never having to like look at these five thousand copies because you don't have a manager you don't have a record company any of that shit and and just having it all being taken care of by these guys in london at q rates versus you being jack stratton and having five thousand copies of Volvo O One just sitting on your goddamn doorstep, hoping it doesn't warp in the LA heat before you can get it in the house, and then having to go like find enough boxes to go take care of that shit, and then hoping yeah. everyone buys it in a timely fashion, so it's not just sitting on top of your bed for six months, you know. So, so, so I, so here's the thing. So I understand then uh, that makes sense for. Well, I guess I guess Wolf is is different in that they they they're trying to minimize right their their business footprint, right? They want to get you know the musicians the most amount of money, right? That's that's his that's his mission statement. Yeah. So because I was gonna say, I, it seems like that to get around that, I mean, you just work with like Vol Wolfpack is big enough now, right? They're they're popular enough now that I'm sure there wouldn't be any difficulty getting like record stores to like or, or just stores in general to 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 stock their their albums right like wherever wherever vinyl is sold i'm sure they would stock wolfpack records because i'm sure they would sell right in, i'm in this like, i ultimate am universe. Al i'm almost positive stores do that i'm almost positive that if you were to go into a record store maybe not anymore because for one, it's been a while, and for two, COVID, um, that you could have bought a copy of um, Live at MSG at some point. Because if I'm a record store owner, and I know how popular Wolf is, and I know how short these the availability is for your purchasing window, yeah, I absolutely would snag a few copies and then just mark that shit up in my in my shop. So that so so. So then, I guess you know why. Why wouldn't? How does it traditionally work? Then I guess, like, let's say, let's say you go off and and, and do the do do the traditional route. You you print you know twenty five thousand copies of your record, um, and then like is that literally how it works? Is it just delivered like to your doorstep, and then you've got to go, like, how do stores get the record? You know what I mean, like. Who works out that? Is that just is that just like part of like your manager's job, or is that like? So, 
I have a very limited understanding of this, but based on some record shops that I follow and you know what I mean? Some of my basic understanding of the way pre-orders for anything works is Yeah. During the pre-order window. So so like let you know, let's say let's say we started a band, you know, it's uh it's you can't be serious the band. Um sure. the, the you can't be serious experience. <laughs> sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm on board. Yeah. I'd buy that. We we write ten songs. We have a name for the album, we have album artwork, we have everything, we have a launch date, everything. And, you know, I don't know, four or six months before the album is set to release on vinyl, we do a pre-order. What I believe, in theory, what you do is you take all those pre-orders and you extrapolate out how much you should actually get. So if we got like 4,000 pre-orders, you know, I don't know what that you would reference that number against, but let's say that's really good. We'd go, all sure, right, yeah. you know, historically when, or, you know, previously, recently, when, when bands get 4,000 pre-orders, they usually end up selling uh, 25,000 copies. So we'll buy 25,000 copies. And then you uh-huh. ship out the pre-orders and then you are basing on some level of math and an industry standard that you're going to sell the other 21,000 in a reasonably timely manner. Yeah. Of those pre-orders, a certain portion of them should also be coming through a streamlined process to get to record shops so that they can start advertising their pre-orders as well and they can start advertising the in-store purchases on launch date and get advanced copies which i believe happens it happens in a different fashion so that the same day availability hits for physical copies on like the you can't be serious experience website it would also be available at like Princeton Record Exchange. Yeah, like in stores. Okay. Huh. I believe that's how that works. And then so then what happens with the other, you know, 19,000 copy or 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 whatever that are like who's holding on to those? Or is that just like are you or is that with the expectation that other record stores and stuff are going to order another you know nineteen thousand whatever record copies because they're flying off the shelves or this this is where i'm going to go in from educated guesswork to straight up guesswork um sure yeah 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 yeah. i would imagine like the realm i would imagine of those 19 or 20 21,000 leftover copies a portion of them is going to be left with whomever does the shipping from the online orders which I would assume would be your record company, um, yeah. Based on the fact that, like, you know, I get those emails from Sub Pop Records. Um, sure, like we're signed, from we're signed to Universal Records, and like, so Universal is handling that, right? So whoever at shipping and you know receiving at at, at Universal or Sub Pop or wherever, like, they'll send those out. I'm sure the band's going to keep a certain copy for. Um, one themselves, their own purposes, or also whomever handles bringing shit on tour, so they could, in theory, sell some of them mm. on tour. And uh, I would guess a lot of those would also just go towards warehouses that are located near their distributors. So you know, record shops. Yeah, that's that then, would be my and so guess. Then, and so then you're having to pay for all of that. That's all just like overhead, right? You're having to store it somewhere or have to like lug it around with you on tour to try to sell it that way or so it's it's you've got to deal with it yeah exactly and 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 that's what that's the reason i think wolf is still doing it the way that they're doing it because it 
all right, so you know, let's say a, a regular single LP is going to run you twenty five bucks, and mm -hmm. um, Q rates comes up to you and says, "All right, I will take your order. I will print your press your vinyl. I will ship that vinyl out, um, and you know, like handle any problems and customer service. Um, you know, the whole nine, and I'll yeah. do it for a total of like sixteen dollars per copy." So that you get nine dollars of profit per copy, which I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's bad. I made these numbers up. Whatever, um, yeah, we'll roll with it. Sure, yeah. So like you know, every disc is going to cost you like two bucks, and then you got to pay fourteen dollars in overhead, and then the rest is just profit. Yeah. Whereas if you went to the route we just like really tried to detail, you mm. know, hey, you might get that. You might get that that actual disc for like seventy five cents instead of two dollars, which is way better. That's less than 50%, but then you have the overhead of not just all of the individual agents that we just detailed, but all of the people that work there, so their salaries are going to be baked into that. It sounds like there's going to be a lot more different places that large quantities are going to be shipped to, which is going to affect the shipping costs. It, 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 the wider the net, the more room there is for overhead. So while the disc itself might drop from being $2 to $0.75, cents, all the baked in overhead that goes into that might increase from like four, what did I say, six, $16 to $18. And while that's not a huge difference for like one unit, you know, that's compared, that's you getting $7 a profit versus $9 a profit. When you're talking about, I don't know, yeah, like out over 5,000 yeah. copies, that $2 becomes 10 grand. Yeah. And like yeah. That's, that's a lot of fucking money profit. So, yeah. And so, plus, plus, it's in Curate's best interest to help advertise the product. Obviously, yeah, because the more the more orders that are placed for it, right, the more they sell, like the more they make. That's how they make their money. If, if yeah. no one goes to fund the album, no one goes to pre-order the album. Curate doesn't make any money. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure they make some money. I'm sure there's some kind of fee or something for like. Maybe yeah, like a but, listing fee or something. Yeah, like that. but but it's it's it, that's not their that's not their end game. Uh, or that's not their business strategy. Um, so then, why don't why like it seems like that's Q, Q rates. Even if it like like why aren't bigger bands doing this? You know what I mean? Like why aren't like uh. I don't know. Like, why doesn't uh, like why doesn't Kanye like release his album on uh, Q rates? Like, okay, you know what I mean. If, I do, I do. And again, if I had to guess, this would be my guess. All right. So let's just stick with 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 big easy numbers. Let's say Wolf sells five thousand records and they make yeah. nine nine dollars a profit per record. Um, let's, let's call let's, let's call, call ten. Let's let's call say, ten. Yeah, yeah, let's make it even easier and call it ten. <laughs> uh, yeah. They make nine seventy two profit. Yeah, um, that's too much. Yeah. I'm trying I'm trying to do this without my phone calculator in front of me. <laughs> so yeah. now Kanye is way bigger. He's been around longer, got a bigger yeah. audience, played yeah. with bigger bit names, the whole night. Yeah. So Kanye only selling, I don't know if he even sells vinyl, but if he only sold 5,000 copies, would probably be disappointed in that. Now, Kanye might sell 5,000, but you know, just to keep things in perspective, 
the window in which Wolf does their selling is one month because that's again just how curates works. So even if Kanye only makes instead of ten dollars, say five dollars per copy based on that pre-order window, and then he only because he's got the bigger overhead, everything that we mentioned, his profits per disc got cut from ten dollars to five dollars because there's just more overhead in front of him. He has the life, he has the ability to not care about storage costs because there's someone taking care of that for him. And there's so many copies that can eventually be sold that he'll make the difference back with surplus over the length of time that those records are probably sitting around. So if ah. you have the ability, because like, you know, yeah. if, if Wolf had the ability to keep more copies, and, like, you and I do not own copies of, like, Vol Milk or um, uh, My Mid First Car. Or, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, early yeah. shit. Yeah. We would both really like to have copies of those albums. Volpec, yes. the band, doesn't have any. The only yeah. people that have them are people who bought them. And that is, that's fine. Like, that's how it works. But that means that Wolf is not making money off of that vinyl right now. But mm. whatever Kanye record came out at that same point in time, probably if again, if Kanye has vinyl, could he definitely very much so does. And that you could still go buy a copy of like exactly. my beautiful dark twisted fantasy on vinyl and he'll make money on that. And even if he's yeah. only making two dollars per copy, this is now that. years past that, yeah. Right, and you know, because he's he's had to pay storage fees and, and and all that bullshit, he's still making money though, and he's 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 got such a larger window to sell, and that window went from being one month to all of existing time, um, that he's he's just gonna make he's just gonna make the money. So, at what point then do you think does it make sense for Wolf to? Because like we, we I know we've talked. I'm glad you brought up the you know kind of the the secondhand market or at least alluded to the secondhand market of for Wolf records. And that's kind of like the, the elephant in the room, the big thing we haven't touched on when it comes to this whole Q rate strategy of, you know, only ordering and only creating, uh, you know, what people pre-order. And then that's it. That's the supply that then if, if the vinyl becomes popular, if it's, if it's a popular group uh, or really, even if it's not, that creates a supply and demand, you know, uh, situation in in that it drives up a second the second market there's uh secondhand market costs right so if you know for example if you go on and look for a copy of Midpack right now it'll probably run you two hundred dollars <laughs> easy oh um, yeah it is not cheap like without even you know may, probably more than that probably more than two hundred dollars um but where, whereas if you look up a, an album for uh for a Kanye album, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy right that probably still costs like twenty five dollars maybe thirty dollars um because you know it's it, just the differences of how, like of what we just talked about of how you know it's it's been sitting somewhere in a in a warehouse or um there's probably also been like reprintings of them as well um at what point though does like does it make sense for Wolf to shift the their strategy to then? Because if 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 Jack's if Jack Stratton's ultimate mission statement right is to get the most amount of money 
to the musicians, right? Um, obviously, I understand why in the early days, Q rates was the way to go because it, it cut out a lot of overhead costs and just ensured that you were going to make some profit and and it was going to go to you know the the smallest number of people so everyone can get the largest piece of it. That makes sense. Um, but now, especially that they're growing in popularity, um, at what point does that, you know, kind of how do we get the most amount of money to the, you know, to the musicians? Does that then shift to, well, that means we need to go the traditional manufacturing route? Like at what point, you know, do they think, you know, we'll sell enough records where we can make more money if we do it this way versus the, you know, the Q rates way? So I, I think this raises an interesting question in regards to Stratton's mission statement with the band. And so far as I can tell, based on the decision-making of the group, it's not about quantity of money going to the artists. It's about share of money out of that quantity going to the artists. Mm. So it's not about like, and again, this is still just all speculation. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so it's not about like, you know, we need to get Joe, Theo, Corey, we need to get everybody 20 grand a show or, or 20 grand a record or whatever fixed nominal amount it is. It's about, you know, we need to get each guy uh, 5% of the net or 5% of the gross, like some yeah, shit like yeah. that, you yeah. know? Yeah, so it's because not, it's not the most amount of dollars; it's the highest percentage of dollars. Right, because if they wanted the most amount of dollars, they're probably at maybe not at per se, but they might be near the tipping point where you're right. Switching over to the machine that is the music industry and mm -hmm. having a lot of this stuff taken care of for them and introducing greater overhead costs, but getting you know having a lot taken off your plate and being able to just introduce larger quantities and 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 things being done in mass and all of the the social media and, and advertising arms that comes with these companies they might very well be at a point they I, actually i have to say they, they probably are Corey wong is being sponsored by fender like they are big name people at this point yeah. um but that raises it like it's it's not a financial question at this point it really is just how fervently do we believe in the mission statement and what amount of dollars are we willing to sacrifice to maintain this mission like there is no doubt in my mind that wolfpack is making more money now off of spotify than they were like four years ago when they were first starting to, to give Spotify shit. Without a doubt. Yeah, because just more people are listening to them. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're any more satisfied with Spotify, the platform, because they're still not getting that share of the money that they think they are entitled to because they're the artists. That's been the whole quibble. So even though they are definitely making more because they have more downloads or streams or whatever unit of measurement spotify goes by yeah. um digs or likes or whatever uh <laughs> they they're still gonna be pissed and i i think i've seen jack still make comments on twitter here and there about it that they're not getting more of a percent so 
I don't know where that line is for them personally, because if they're cool with the amount that they've been making and they're cool with this revenue split, then uh, fucking forever. They'll just do this forever. They have no yeah. reason to stop. Um, yeah. Until they invent their own record exchange platform. Uh, that's 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 seemingly the next step. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, it's probably also still fair to say, too, that with each release, they probably still have made more and more money. And they probably have made more even on this one just because of their increasing popularity. More and more people pre-order it. So that results in higher profits for them just, you know, even without changing their process. Right. So I believe Curate actually shows you. um Closed backings so now i'm Hmm. gonna gonna look up wolfpack and see how they how it's changed over time all right i got it up um so fugue state is the oldest one here the ep it had 1300 backers um okay my first car the ep had 1200 backers mitpeck had almost 3000 backers wow then there's, uh, oh, Volmilk, actually, I'm getting hazy on the order of these now, um, had 1,500 backers. Okay. Um, there's two different releases of Thrill of the Arts. They total together about 4,100 backers. Um, okay. Sleepify, the all-silent LP, so basically an unpressed vinyl, had 1,000 backers. No fucking way. Hold on. They printed Sleepify on vinyl? Yes. That's amazing. Yes, they did. Um, Oh, my God. That's amazing, dude. I want a copy of that so bad. I think it's also the cheapest vinyl to get on the secondary market, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure, because it's just a blank disc. (laughs) It's it's basically just a disc that spins. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that's a amazing- well. Hold on though. So, how do they? Because like when you put it on, on the record player, right? And you drop the needle. What does the needle drop in? Does it drop into a groove that just doesn't play any music? Or I, I guess or is it a disc without any grooves? Or is it? Is it like? No, because I, th- I think if it had no grooves, then then your needle would just swing into the middle of it, and then it, it would, the record would be over. I think it has to have grooves. It has to have grooves, right? And so it. Oh my god, that's amazing, <laughs> dude! I want a copy of that so fucking bad. Oh, uh, uh, this this. Can this, you imagine? This. Like, oh man, that would be. Cause like you could, oh, that would be amazing. We, we, I need to track <laughs> one of those down. I'm going to, how much does that go for right now? Like, uh, I think it's like I 50 guess- or 60 bucks. Like I really don't think it's that much. All c- compared to their other vinyl, 50 or 60 bucks is still sure, a lot yeah. for vinyl. Yeah. Uh, um, um, hold on. There's, I, I found one for sale for 30 bucks. Wow. I am. I, I, oh. Uh, this would this is this is just like a waste of thirty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's uh... so that wow. had it. So that had a thousand. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> um, beautiful game had fifty three hundred backers. Wow. 
Hill Climber had three different copies that released. Um, those three copies had 1,900 backers, 2,500 backers, and 5,300 backers. So that's um, 7,800 plus 1,900 is 9,400 backers. That that co- that almost sold 10,000 copies. Um, wow. Yeah, 9,400 copies altogether. Um, oh, which one was that? That was that was Hill Climber. Hill Climber. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, the Antoine Stanley LP sold 5,500 copies. Um, and Joy of Music, Job of Real Estate had 7,600 backers, which makes it by far the biggest individual backing. Yeah. So uh, I think, so then I think, uh, Mr. Finish, I guess Mr. Finish Line wasn't released on Q rates. Interesting. Anyway. So that I, I think if I'm again, I'm a little fuzzy also on like the release order. Um, but I think, uh, excluding Sleepify, I think with each subsequent release, I think they do go up ish, right? Ge- definitely, Gen- generally speaking, almost for sure. Um, um, I was surprised to hear Mitpeck had such a high. Mitpeck had what, like almost 3,000? Um, but, yeah, um, Mit- Mitpeck was at, yeah, yeah, 2946. But um, but the rest of them, it seems like they they go up, um, and so then I mean it it wouldn't be a su- it wouldn't be a stretch to say you know that that their their next album you know the release gets you know you know twelve thousand backers or or whatever. Um, I I would definitely venture to say that the next one has a dangerously good chance of breaking ten thousand. Yeah. Considering the fact that their last original release, which I have their um, discography in front of me, the last original release was Hill Climber. Um, so I'm not counting live at MSG. Um, mm-hmm. And Hill Climber, throughout its three different iterations, did over 9,400. Uh, but its biggest individual one, the first run of it, doing 5,300, jumping from 5,300 to 7,600 is a pretty big jump. And yeah. bands tend to grow exponentially, not linearly. So, yeah, especially with with kind of how they've been uh, released. I feel like they've been releasing a lot of not just Wolf stuff, but also like Wolf adjacent stuff as well. Kind of bringing people into you know or, or making people aware of Wolfpack that way as well. And so I I could totally see the next one getting ten ten to twelve thousand backers. Um, and I guess though, like to your point, then you know, as long as you know they're they're happy with because I because you know the 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 nice thing about being you know Jack Stratton is he doesn't have anybody to answer to, right? He doesn't have a uh, a record label or anybody that he has to make happy. As long as him and everyone in the band is happy with how things are going, you're right. They could just keep doing this forever. Yeah, as, as long as want um, to do something different, yeah. As long as everything feels right between him, um, his band, and his rabbi, I guess it's all it's all kosher. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, and it also makes and so. I mean, this is pretty off topic, um, relatively speaking. But it it also has made 
this most recent record interesting because they're putting a lot of YouTube stuff on it that hadn't been previously released and kind of condensing it down into into one spot, which has also yeah. made this at, this individual record more interesting also. But so so I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's exactly where I was going with this. Is I I also wanted to touch on just kind of how how this record was uh I, I came to be or or where the songs all come from like it's you know the the other albums before this right have all been released uh somewhat traditionally in the sense that you know you get the album all at once like all the songs you maybe there's a single off of it or whatever but like it's it's released as the album whereas um this album was kind of released piecemeal on on YouTube, right? Throughout, so most, I think, if not all of the songs, um, were released like individually before the actual album dropped, right? Uh, yeah. Um, and we talked a little bit about this, you know, before off the air. Um, just that it it feels in. It's definitely a fun album. It's great. I love new Wolfpack music, you know, whenever it's out. Um, but it feels a little bit more disconnected, right, than than some of the other albums that they've had in the past. Um, maybe some of that has to do with the fact that some of the songs were previously released, and so not all of it feels brand new. Um but I'm just interested to hear like what you think about about that that release strategy of like doing it piecemeal like that, where almost every song is a single versus, you know. I th th this also gets into the business model that is Wolf and trying to capitalize on every inch of ground that they have, because if this was like so it was a big deal in. Well, like 83, when Michael Jackson's Thriller had three singles. Like, mm -hmm. that was yeah. considered at the time too many singles. Yeah, yeah. Because it was going to spoil the record. Yeah. And in part, it was because they spent, you know, there's a story with Thriller. They spent forever working on it. And, you know, part of the reason they released three was because the album was taking way too long and yada, 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 yada. But another big part of it is that they didn't want to spoil the record because they also wanted to be able to advertise on the record and let you know why you should buy. The like, there was an industry. There was a machine behind the record. Volt mm, does yeah. not have that. And if you're yeah. an independent artist listening to this, you do not have that. And what Wolf is showing you is, hey, you don't fucking need it. So this strategy makes sense because they're not just creating hype around the abstract concept of a record which would get hype from the core group of fans anyway, it also lets them, gives them material to create hype and advertise minimally, minimally, minimalist, minimalistically speaking, around <laughs> each song, you know? Yeah. Because they, yeah. they don't yeah. have, even if they had, like, the monetary resources, I'm sure they just don't fucking wanna have to sit around and post on Twitter and Instagram nine fucking times a day about how they're dropping a new album soon using the same three tracks because I bet they just don't want to. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to. If if you told me, hey, we're going to go pay an intern to do it, I'd go, okay, as long as I don't have to. But they don't have that, so it'd be them, and they probably mm -hmm. just don't want to. But you know what? Yeah. you know what is cool? 
dropping all your tracks one a week for nine or ten weeks and then just like posting on about that a bunch yeah which is exactly what they did yeah and so i the thing for me is i i really really enjoyed the process of the songs being released but then like looking back at it as an album and going like oh that that's the album was almost a letdown for me i don't want to say a letdown but it wasn't as climactic as i thought it would be like i really like the anticipation of like hearing a single from a new album and going like oh i wonder what the rest of it's gonna sound like and like having to wait and then like getting the album and listening to it for the first time and you know having 80 to 90 percent of it be totally new to my ears whereas with this you know i feel like the process of anticipation like the you know the, the process of waiting for the album to come out was totally a um like a super enjoyable process for me as like a a consumer of like every week being like oh there's new music and like oh, i wonder what they're going to release next week and like that was really cool but then kind of when i got when you get to the end of the 9 weeks um i was uh you know I don't want disappointed seems like I don't that sounds like I don't like the album and that's not the impression I want to give. Um, but I, I wasn't as I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, excited as when, you know, one of their other albums had dropped, you know, in the past. All right. I think I've, I think I've got an analogy for you. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be nearly as fun if you had heard Dark Side of the Moon one track at a time over the course of nine weeks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, that, yeah. You're right. That would, that would, yes, 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 yes. And you're right, because some albums are meant to be consumed as albums, and some <laughs> albums are meant to be consumed as songs. Oh my God, what a fucking horrible idea that would have been. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, if I told you, hey, Matt, I, you want to come listen to this um, Pink Floyd greatest hits album I got? What would your reaction be? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Probably something like this. Like, that just shouldn't. I No, I don't want to listen to that. Uh, I was. I remember a, a Christmas when I was a kid. Um, I was over at, like, my uncle's house or something like that. And one of my uncles had given one of my cousins a Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits album, and he just looked at her and said, and looked at, looked at him and said, "Why does this exist? <laughs> <laughs> Why does that exist? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's not a yeah. good idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's so." especially coming from music from a perspective that you and I do, which is like, we grew up having like you and I didn't exist <laughs> when Pink Floyd released dark side of the moon. We had, there was basically no choice other than to listen to it as a record, unless someone, I don't know, shows you one or two tracks like on their own. There was no Pink Floyd YouTube channel that was going to drop time this week. You know, it's not yeah, like, yeah, yeah. hey, are you guys loved breathe. Get ready for this shit. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was what you did. It's like, oh, Pink Floyd, I've heard of them and I'm going to listen to this album. Or, 
you know, oh, Led Zeppelin four. There's four of them. I'd only heard the first three. Gonna listen to that whole thing now. We're back in black. Wow. Let's see what these what the gang came up with this time. And you're gonna listen yeah. to the whole record. Um. So the idea of singles, especially for you and I, because I'm sure you're the same. Where when I was a kid, it felt like all the singles I'd heard were from pop artists that I then never listened to the album from. And that yep. led to me only knowing these singles and assuming that's all they ever did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I can't just, name you a Katy Perry deep cut. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't either. I don't know. I, I, I can name you some hits. I can't name you a Katy Perry deep cut. <laughs> Do those exist? They have to, there have to be albums for those songs. You know what I mean? Does there though? I guess. Right. You would, you would think she's got to sell. So, so I, this is, this is kind of driving out of, out of, out of a question that I, I wanted to get to a little bit later, but I, we could address it now is like, you know, you talked about back in like, you know, when dark side of the moon came out in the seventies, right. When music was released, then there was no way to, to listen to money without also getting through the rest of well i guess that's a bad example money's the, the first song on the second side but like um there was no way to just jump to the you know the great gig in the, great gig in the sky without either like slapping the needle down in the middle of the disc or waiting for it to get there all of those songs existed only Hence. in the form of the album Right, hence the term deep cut. Is that where that term comes from? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. I mean, I guess that that that's way more straightforward than like <laughs> I I thought it was cuz like you had to like dig real deep to find the song. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a Wow. Hey, man, you learn something new every day. Yeah, um, man. But so, you know, there was a long time in, in music history where where stuff, unless it was explicitly released, right, as a single, um, so a majority of your catalog then only existed in the form of an album. And that's the that was the only way you could release music, right, was on physical discs that had a, a X amount of space on them. You could put sometimes put two discs in an album or whatever. But um, now, because everything is so moving towards, you know, you know, streaming and digital and everything like that, obviously, we've been talking a lot about vinyl this whole time, um, and that market very much so still exists, but music is no longer directly tied to that format, where, like, that's the only way you can release it, so that's what dictates kind of how you release it. Because you can do everything digital now, I mean, is there... Is there still a need for, you know, the album in like a traditional sense or like what, you know, why don't, uh, you know, I guess more artists just release stuff kind of in this method of, you know, it's just kind of piecemeal as it comes out, you know, like as you have it. Um, because if, if a majority of, you know, your, your, you know, revenue from, you know, people listening to your music, or whatever is coming from you know, electronic forms. There's nothing to say that like, it has to be in the format of an album. Right. 
This is an amazing question, first of all. And I have not thought about this. So this is my initial reaction. Yeah. I, if, if we're not tied to the constraint of, hey, you like need 10 songs to fill up all the space on the wax, right? Which we're not. Yeah. That's the current system that we're living in, as you, as you detailed. I think I personally, if I was a musician or musical content creator, still would release in album format for two main reasons with one of those two having like a two-parter one i'll start with the two-parter um it's just easier to market um it's easier for you to be like hey this is track one on the new record and then by the time track two comes out you go like hey this is track two for the new record don't forget to listen to track one, man. It's part of a record. Hey, this is track three. Don't forget, there's, there's tracks one and two. Same record. Keep listening yeah. to that shit back there, man. Great yeah, record. Yeah. Um, and two, if you tour, well, this gives you a good group of things to tour on. This is something that you have consistently hyped up. This is like the B part to it. You've marketed this as like a as a unit of music, and now you can go tour around and play shows predicated around and built around this unit of music and the other thing i is i think is a bigger reason for me personally why i would want to is because when you picture in your mind um the album with the beatles you are picturing a very specific point in time of the beatles and when you picture abbey road you're picturing a very different point in time with the beatles and those albums provide a good lineage for you to work through and create this little snapshot of who you were in that moment what was influencing you at that time and then lets you kind of like look back at these different phases throughout your musical journey you know, and I think that has an interesting value to it that you can still get with individual songs, but having them grouped together in this very one easy to grasp and two meaningful way, I think is really helpful for like a, something of a retrospective on a career. That's really interesting. That that last part isn't, I think. I I had the same thought, but I kind of came to it from the other way round. I um I I also agree that like I think and honestly, like I mean, like it the industry has shown that. Like, I mean, people have continued to put out, you know, albums of roughly the same length, you know, 45 minutes to like, you know, an hour ten is like probably a good length for an album, and it's pretty much remained that way for a, a long time. Um because it you know, even though they don't have to you know you could be putting out you know four hour long you know huge projects or just release stuff you know only two and a half minute singles every week if you wanted to however you wanted to do it the sky's the limit um but just that it's it's convenient and it and it 
it just makes sense like from a from a consuming standpoint it's like a um it's come to be like an acceptable amount of music right to you know for for a release um i just think it's interesting that even though we're no longer tied to um you know that physical medium that we've kind of stuck to the same principles as if we were still tied to that physical medium you know the idea of of making sure that you know the songs all together have a similar theme because well they're going to bleed into each other one into the next into the next and the next because they're all physically cut into the same disc um we can only have about you know 50 minutes of, of music because well that's all that'll fit on a disc um and even once we got past those constraints we've kind of decided well you know what those were good uh standards to have um because when like the before like the uh you know the 33 and a third like before that bit you know the the full lps came out like you could only record you know 15 minutes of music or so a, a disc right how, how much can you fit on a little 45 <sighs> no fuck not much no. Right. No it's, not, it's not a lot. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's maybe two songs. Um, and so, and so like you couldn't, you know, in that, like if, if, if we never invented, you know, the, you know, the, the, the full LP, like you, you couldn't do an album like dark side of the moon. Like, like it just wouldn't be a feasible concept because that we would take up, you know, eight discs and and each song would like they you wouldn't be able to do that seamless bleeding one into another because you'd have to literally change the disc each time, um, and so music and the way people released music up until that point was changing with the medium. You know, once they had the ability to record longer stuff on long, bigger discs, they did. Now, um, you know, we're kind of we've kind of reached a point where you can release stuff of unlimited length right um and yet we've still kind of maintained that those same standards of what an album is and i think i think even people outside who aren't you know super into music the way you and i are um would also agree like upon like you know if you ask them like you know what are the criteria for something to be an album like how long should it be how many songs are on it that kind of i think if you were to like do a survey of the general population you'd probably get you know a, a similar sounding answer to what i just said you know something between like you know nine and 12 songs and like 40 to 60 minutes right or 45 to an hour and 10 or whatever um Is this a pause or or, or this was a this was this was uh, a pause because I, I thought I might think of something else to say, but I didn't. <laughs> so, um, so so you go now. <laughs> I have not finished, and it is your turn to speak. Um, it's it it is kind of remarkable how how much we cling to the non tangible, how much we 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 cling to certain standards and ideals that ultimately don't really come from anywhere. Yeah. Like the the reason that albums are the length that they are in all likelihood if I had to guess is what we said earlier which is 
well, shit, we got to put something on all this goddamn wax. You know, like it'd be crazy to have a different size disc for every record based on how many songs the artist wrote. Having that be standardized makes literally everyone's life easier. And while there is difference between, you know, actual runtime of each side, it's usually a difference of like maybe a minute, you know, minimum half. Yeah. Yeah, It's not a lot. Um, And it would be pretty glaring if it was like five minutes and the whole just like inner third of your disc was ungrooved. Like that'd be super weird. So chances are this convention comes from sheer convenience and logistics, but it has a weird grasp, like, like gravitational pull to it. Like if you were to sit down and write five songs, five really good songs, three and a half minute songs that you felt really good about you for whatever reason would not look at that and go, that's an album. You would look at that and go, that's an EP, make a killer EP, but you would not look at that and go, that's an album. And even, even if you didn't have the term EP, you wouldn't look at it and say it's an album because you'd say there needs to be more there. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't have enough. Yeah, even in the idea, even in the world we live in now where where there is no no, oh, there's 45 minutes, you know, on a disc. That's that's what you gotta that's that's what you gotta fill. I, I you know, you could release 20 seconds of music and call that an album, and and there's nothing stopping you, you know, in the pro you know, f- from doing that. But it would feel weird. It would feel weird to do that. Um, like it would feel weird to release four songs of you know at three minutes a piece and call that an album that wouldn't feel right and people don't do that people don't do that people don't release albums you know even like albums that are short in length so some like punk albums are like you know 25 minutes like 30 minutes they usually have 10 songs on them though yeah i was about to say like so i have a um a gospel record from the Soulsters. It's a great record. And it, it's gotta have like 15 fucking songs on it. But all the songs are like two, two and a half minutes. But yeah, if I so it's short. Yeah. And if I went out and bought like a yes record, that's that album would probably only have five songs on it. But it yeah. would be <laughs> the same length, if not longer. Yep. Like yep, yep. there is this weird thing with time when it comes to music. That is so intangible. Like the idea, a movie needs to really be 90 minutes for you to think of it as a, as a movie. You know, you'll give like five minutes back, look at something 85 minutes, and you'll be like, ah, you know, all right, it's a movie. Anything yeah. short, shorter than that, it's like, what is this? Hallmark? Like, what, you know? Yeah. Um, but there, You'll you'll still look at the visual medium and have some recognition of it being the the storytelling. It'll still have all of the arcs and twists and turns of a movie you might expect. The length is variable. It can be an hour and a half. It could be seven hours. I have watched movies that long. It hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll recognize what it is as being a film, even if it's five minutes you'll recognize a short film as being a film even if you drop the word short from it. And for whatever reason, having an album come in under 40 minutes, under 30 minutes, really, Mm -hmm. under 10 songs of conventional length, 
feels fucking wrong. Yeah, it, it, it very much does. And it's, I, I can't quite like put my finger on why. Um, and I think it, it, because it would be one thing if you and I were, you know, 50 years old, 60 years old, whatever, and had grown up in the era of, you know, vinyl, you know, like, and, and that was how we experienced music as, you know, we were growing up. Um, but we didn't, you know, um, for our entire lives, right? I mean, I guess CDs, I guess CDs have, oh, yeah, we, we were the CD era. I guess CDs have, you know, there are limits to what you can put on a CD, right? Um, Technically speaking, but they're so crazy. I, I had, I ever had an Elvis CD that had like 50 Elvis songs on it. Yeah. And so like there was way more, you could do more with it. Um, and so we've never, you know, grown up and we've never experienced music in an era where, you know, the, you were limited by the physical, you know, releasing of you know, how much you could fit on a disc. Um, and more than that, I, while, while growing up in the CD age, we also grew up in the first generation of iPods. Yeah. Which changed where, everything. Where the whole marketing strategy around some of those really early iPods were like, you could put enough music on here to fly back and forth between Los Angeles and New York 25 times without listening to the same song twice. Um, I, I distinctly remember that ad campaign because I was like, who would need that much music? That's too much music. Um, but uh, I mean, I was I was naive and, and, and dumb, young and dumb. But um, but yeah, and so but it's still in, even existing in the era that we did and how we've outlined that there were no limitations in how, you know, you could record and, and listen to music. Um, you and I have also both pretty explicitly detailed that we feel pretty strongly about like what an album is and what an album isn't And an album. Isn't anything, you know, less than 35, 40 minutes, you know, nine or 10 songs, anything smaller than that is just not an album. And at the same time, so like I've, I, I, I I'm struggling to think of what, some of these albums I have in my head are um, just because I've chosen not to listen to music that I've given up on over my life. But I've definitely listened to albums in the past and been like, yeah, a lot of these songs is are only here because they were trying to hit 10. Um, like, I've listened to albums where it's like, they, they were like, shit, guys, we got seven. We need three more. Let's, uh, let's get into the studio and just try to figure some shit out for a while. And, and that's what they came up with. I've definitely listened to those albums before where it's been like, Oh uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's there. Uh, I, I, I guess you recorded it. Um, I would argue that most albums probably have at least one song on there that is there because they need to get to some kind of, well, they need, they needed a 10th song or they needed yeah, we have, we have to, to fill this 45 out minutes or yeah, they, they had yeah. space on the disc. Why not fill it with something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we just, we need one more. Um, and sometimes that works out fine. Um, I'm pretty sure hell's bells was that for ACDC, even though it's the first track off of back in black. I'm pretty really? sure. That, 
I'm pretty sure I heard Brian Johnson talk about how it was like, we need another one. And um, they just kind of like tried and that's what they came up with, which, hey, whipped it up and we're like, yeah, that's that's crazy because that's a pretty that's also a pretty like signature song of that album. Like, oh, like, yeah. I mean, it, it's the first track. It sets the tone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But a- anyway, there are also times where it's like, oh, really? Oh, that's that's what you did, huh? Yeah. Um, I could have done without that one. Yeah. Basically, all of ACDC's previous or uh, uh, late material. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But, but you, you do that because you, you need to. You feel like you need to. We're all going to feel like you need to. Could you imagine if a band came out with just like a six song, three and a half minute long, a song record? So like, could you imagine if this Volpe... So actually, you know what? Let's go back to this Wolfpack record because this, yeah. this is a great point. So original songs on this Wolfpack record are only five. Um, there, there are... Ah, well... Not previously released material. There are only five original songs on this record, which basically makes it an LP. Let's say they let's throw on one more just to round it up uh, to to make this discussion point where I'm going with it. Six songs. How would you feel about that? So, as a concept, I don't like it. Like, I don't like the idea of that. Like, because it goes against kind of what we've all been, what we've just been talking about. Of like an album is 10 songs an album is 40 minutes. Like it, it just, that's what an album is. Like if I'm sitting down to listen to an album, I'm going to dedicate about 40 minutes of time. And that's how much music I want. Damn it. Um, at the same time though, to what we were just talking about, as far as bands feeling the need to get to that mark and feeling it with, you know, frankly fluff. Um, if all six songs are fucking bangers, Right. And there is no fluff. I think once I sit down and listen to it, I think I think it's I think I go, well, you know what? They're all great songs. I probably then say I wish they wrote three more that were also great. Um, But if given the choice between, you know, six great songs or six great songs and three filler songs, I, 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 I. I like the idea of just six songs and them all being great because then there's not there's no weak points on the on the air quotes. You know, album, you know, you know, you know what the problem is with that though. What if Wolf or whomever you enjoy listening to released a song, an album of six bangers? You would go, why aren't there three more songs on this record? That's that's would, I know. Yeah, that's the hard part. Is like you would if 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 people just started doing this, we would not we wouldn't. You would just go, why wouldn't you just make more? Yeah. Why isn't there more album where there should be album? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, you're, you're totally right. That is exact. That's pro that's exactly what my response would be. Um, cause like, so, you know, I, I follow a bunch of wolf stuff and like a lot of people are choosing to be little whiny bitches and complain about the fact that the record that's coming out includes a lot of previously released material. And they're like, well, if I had known that I wouldn't have bought, they should, they should have just made an LP with just the original stuff. And it's like, all right, man, well, first off, just don't flip the record. How about that Jack? And then on the other (laughs) side of it, (laughs) right. Problem fucking solved. Um, And 
if that's the case, like if if Wolf at this point, think about how successful this band is, and they're an indie band. So imagine that, but like on a larger scale. Imagine if they release an uh, an EP at this point in their long, in their career, we would all be like scratching our fucking heads, going, "What the hell is going on?" Like, yeah, it's not to say it's wrong. It just breaks norm, and it's weird to think about that way. Yeah. But so, I mean, that's kind of what we've been talking about, though, is just breaking norms, right? As far as like, how, how do you, how do you record a record? How do you market a record? How do you sell a record? How do you promote a record? Um, and it, seem, it seems like Wolf is perfectly fine with going against the grain as far as, you know, but even with all of their unconvention in un, unconventional ways, um, yeah, they're, they're still locked into a, you know, yeah, nine songs, 40 minutes, that's an album. Um, well, I and, think that, again, just comes down to the marketability of it. And so but I, I just think it's it's interesting that I, I, I think you're totally right that anybody else would also have the same reaction that, that you know, we just described of if they only came out with six songs and they were all great, people would say, well, where's the rest of it, though? Like, where's the where are the other three songs? Um, like, you didn't finish it. <laughs> um and it seems weird that even like, you know, this is like cross genre, right? If, if, uh, if Katy Perry came out with, uh, whoever her, whoever the Katy Perry fans are who are you know, out there just super into Katy Perry, uh, eagerly awaiting her, her next release. If she came out with, you know, an album with, you know, five, six songs on it and they were all bangers, but th there was no other songs on it. You'd probably be disappointed. Or like, uh, pick a genre right it's something that kind of transcends genre it's not just something that that is like oh well people who were into rock and roll have a, an idea of what you know what an lp is like but like it's music across the board has kind of settled into this unspoken rule of this is what an album is and if you have anything less than that well you don't have enough you got to get to that point before you can call it an album and then we haven't even gotten into the the going the other way with it when you start to release albums that got like 20 goddamn tracks on it. Yeah, and so then at what point do you call it a double album? At what point, you know, do, it, does the term double album even mean anything anymore in these days? Like, Well, since vinyl sales are picking up, I'd say, yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess, uh, yeah. Um, you know, but... The time convention—it's it, yeah—it's—it's—it's—it's super—it's super strange to think about, and I wonder. Um, I mean, I guess I guess the answer is you know as long as vinyl is a thing, and as long as people are buying vinyl, I think we're going to be locked into the idea that you know, you know what we've just described as being our interpretation of what an album is—you know, of about ten songs in like forty-five minutes or so. Um, but I, it, I'm not sure if we'll ever see a time when that changes. Maybe we will. Maybe maybe we'll get to a point where people have kind of moved. That's no longer like a, um, an association we make with that. But but I, I'm not sure because it's it's also like it's just convenient. It's just a nice amount. That, that yeah. Of, of music right you know like when you sit down to watch a movie you know you kind of expect like ah, oh, this is going to be about two hours right 
Um, that's just kind of the expectation. And it's anything longer than like two, two and a half hours. You're kind of like, well, you know, that's a long time to sit in one place and stare at a big screen. Um, you know, anything shorter than, you know, 40 minutes uh, for an album, you're, you're like, you know what? I'm, I, I, I was kind of expecting there to be more music there. Um, I, I don't feel like I got everything I, I signed up for. I, I now can't stop thinking about the fact that Joe's Garage is like a five-part record. How um, many discs is that? Like five. It's five. It's five separate discs. So I think it's. I think there's four that you can readily buy, and I think there's like a really low-key fifth disc out floating out there somewhere. But <laughs> yeah, like like Zappa made the record and then went to. Uh, I forget if it was Universal or Warner Brothers or whomever, and was like, I got a big one. And they were like, no, you don't. <laughs> they were like, we will release part one. <laughs> um, or part one and two. I forget how they're lumped together. But like the album Joe's Garage is a double LP. Um, yeah, so those were parts one and two, um, but they just called them part one. So you can go out there and buy Joe's Garage part three and four, which is another... It says three and four, but it is just one, I think, double record. So it's like a four disc record. And Warner Brothers is like, we will we can't sell that. Like we can't we can't sell a four disc record. Like, you know yeah. how much that's gonna take? We don't have the technology. Yeah. And well and not only that, that's also like I we're talking, you know, that who's going into it? Yeah, that's that's a yeah. Yeah, we we we've left the realm of sleeves and jackets and have entered the world of boxes. Like yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, that's 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 far from that's far from the norm. Are you are you excited or intimidated when you get a double LP? I'm uh I'm usually excited because I I'm I want to find out what what side I like better. Okay. I, cause there's usually a distinct, I, I usually, I, it, it's usually pretty clear that like, I usually either like, you know, the first half of the album better than the second half or the second half better than the first half. Right. Uh, like, uh, like physical graffiti. I much prefer the first half physical graffiti than the second half physical graffiti. Okay. That's just me. For me, it depends on the record. So, so I, I got two double LPs in the mail recently, actually. So this works out perfectly. I got I got a double LP from this like funk pop band called Fat Night, um, album called Live for Each Other. That was a double LP, and I was super jazzed because I was like, "All right, let's get funky, baby!" And I'm gonna I'm gonna you know make dinner and eat dinner and have a whole big long like hour and a half session where i take the time to clean up and all that shit and i'm gonna listen to my record the whole time and it was awesome yeah and then i got <laughs> sufjan stevens's new album in the mail the ascension and it was a double lp and i sighed because <laughs> i'm like <laughs> this is going to be a challenge <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really good record but I definitely at some point was like, oh, wow, we are still in this, aren't we? Is this the same yeah. song? Um, 
Which is the other, I, I, I just want to jerk off Sophie on Stevens for a moment here. Because this new album, for one thing, it's really cool. Um, but for another thing, I constantly forget that he does everything on his records. And I'm just always so impressed by it. Because he does everything on his, like, hold on. I have to, I have to pick up the, the, the jacket so I can read. To, and, you know, you, you, you now are a part of it. You've now listened to, to a, a Sufjan Stevens record. So now you know. What, oh, God. Oh, God. Anyway, now you know what they're like as I, as I drop some vinyl on the floor. Um, so this, this should mean something to you here. Uh, I already got it in my hands. Let's see. Where's the inner sleeve? Ugh. All right. So this album, The Ascension, that just came out, all songs performed, recorded, engineered, arranged, mixed, and produced by Sufjan Stevens. Yeah, but he didn't master it, so... Uh, <laughs> uh no, he probably didn't. That's crazy though. Um, yeah, he did. But he also, um, if you if you look up this record, it comes with a whole insert full of uh, artwork and the cover art's crazy. Um, all original art, layout, design, and typography by Sofian Stevens. Really? Huh. Yeah, the dude just does everything. And he does That's it crazy. in a in a quantity that is just unfathomable. The dude yeah. has so many records. There's so like every one of his records is like two yes albums in terms of what the fuck is happening. Yeah, no, I I mean, so I'm I'm nowhere near as familiar with this stuff as you are, but I've I'd heard of him. I'd listened to him before I listened to Age of Ads, like you told me to. Um, and it's. It's so dense. Like, there's. It's like the it's the opposite of punk rock. It's the it's like the opposite of 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 minimalist, right? Where there's just so many layers to everything that's going on, and 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 the fact that he's doing all of them all together just adds to not the complexity, but adds to like the impressiveness of uh, you know what you're hearing right yeah in terms of both composition and output because oh my like i don't know you uh, you've been recording some stuff recently am i right yeah i have yeah, yeah how much work has that been <laughs> it's 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 so it's so much more work than i thought it would be i um like the 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 amount of time actually spent playing instruments versus doing other shit when it comes to like recording a song, it's ridiculous. How, like maybe, maybe 20%. Yeah, I, that's probably too much of, of, of my time of, of, you know, it was spent actually playing the instruments, playing the song um, versus, you know, messing with, you know, mic placements and amp settings and and you know mic choices and and ambient effects and mixing afterward and just it's uh there's just so much stuff that goes into it it's ridiculous that 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 actually playing the music 
it could be such a small part of recording music. And and that's the uh, that's the 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 fucking amazing part about it. It's the same thing with like how they say you know movies are made on the uh, on the cutting room floor. You know everything. Yeah. So little of what you consume is truly done in the like production part of it. So much is is accomplished in pre and post. Mm-hmm. But anyway, totally different conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be a conversation for maybe next week. Yeah, I um, think you might be right. It definitely warrants its own discussion. Um. So you know, before we wrap up here, any any closing thoughts on? On on albums, Wolfpack, the uh, the final thoughts to leave us with words of wisdom from Joshua Tracy. If you do not own a record player, do not be intimidated. If you do don't not, own a record player, go fuck yourself. Do not think this is just some hipster garbage. Man, it's fun. It's fun. It's a great end. Because most artists sell their own vinyl on their website or some shit like that, you can feel better about buying them because yeah. it's it's making a better uh, percentage-wise <laughs> impact on your uh, on your favorite artists. So go buy a record player and go get some vinyl and and have some fucking fun. Uh, I'd I'd like to echo all of those sentiments. Um... And so, uh, if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to follow us on on Twitter, you can hit us up at uh, YCBS Pod. That's uh, YCBS Pod. Uh, you can also reach us uh, over email at YCBSPod at gmail.com. Let us know uh, anything you'd like us to talk about, or anything you'd like us not to talk about, or any cool albums you're excited about, or you just want to yell at us. That's cool too. Um, this has been uh, this has been fun. This has been uh, uh, you can't be serious with uh, with Matt Tory uh, signing off. Y'all have a good one.